0: Hey everyone, welcome to Asian Tech Leaders, the podcast where we interview some of the most interesting and inspiring Asian CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. I'm your host, Justin Pang, and I'm on a mission to share the stories of Asian tech leaders to help guide your personal and professional life. Thanks so much for joining me, and hope you enjoy the podcast. Vivian Sun is a head of automated driving at Amazon and an accomplished autonomous vehicle and AI expert. Vivian previously served as a Chief Commercial Officer at Wabi and the VP of Business Development at 2Simple, two, two leaders in autonomous trucking. In this episode, Vivian shares more about the current state of the AV industry, the role of generative AI, and how her upbringing shaped her career path. Hope you enjoy this episode and let's get started. Hi, Vivian. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Justin. Thank you for having me.
0: Excited to have you on, and kind of wanted to, you know, before we get into your origin story of your upbringing, how you got to where you're at, wanted to get your opinion on where the autonomous vehicle market is today, right? Because there's headlines in the news in the last few weeks around certain companies like GM kind of uh, minimizing how big uh, the cruise workforce will be. And it's definitely been such a pendulum sw- shift from where we were a few years ago. So we'd we'll love to just get your take up at the top of this conversation of where are we at in kind of the AV industry and, and how do you uh, view things where we're gonna be in a few years from now?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, that's a fantastic question as we've seen a lot of the news uh, and different press in the in the market. I think this is definitely a turmoil time for self-driving industry um, as we're going to a space of deployment and scaling. Right. And when you're introducing certain technology to the market, the customer adoption is one story. The other story is customer acceptance. Right. So we're, we're really seeing a lot of that. And I, to be honest, I think this is a healthy discussion and a uh, reconstruction of our, our industry, you know, uh, in the industry, um, I already experienced three waves right this is crazy to think about in other industries but this is a technology that's rapidly developing um, and is also experiencing a lot of up and downs which is i think great in general for us to do a lot of retrospective uh, analysis on where we are at what are some of the progress we make where can we do better right in terms of public discussions and be more transparent Um, But in general, I still feel really, really confident about our industry. You know, if anything, I feel more committed to the self-driving development, self-driving truck particularly, uh, especially with this Gen AI movement that we've seen from last year uh, from ChatGPT and OpenAI. I definitely feel like we're at the conversion point for technology where we're going to see a lot more of these more um I would say next generation of technology enter and you know being applied into self-driving industry too, um, where I believe that we're gonna at you know at the converge point to a more generalized self-driving technology and more general um, and more massive deployment. Um, so this all the discussion are fantastic for us to do it safely, reliably. Um, all to the goal of us being able to use the technology, benefit our users, right, making our road much safer. So yeah, I stay very committed and very confident that this is going to be industry that going to have tremendous benefit for all of us.
0: Mm. And probably just a healthy thing for there to be a little bit of, um, you know, optimization of funding companies and just figuring out the problem sets that need to be solved. Can you speak a little bit more about regulatory issues? Mm. Where are we at today? Right. I'm sure things have progressed quite a lot since you started in the industry in 2016, but um, where are we at today with the regulatory framework to support autonomous vehicles on the road, whether they're commercial like trucks or um, obviously, you know, the passenger vehicles that we hear about?
1: Yeah. Um, fantastic question. In the regulatory environment, generally speaking, I feel like the U.S. has the most welcoming, most supportive regulation among all the other countries. Uh, right in the self-driving landscape, uh, some other markets are quite competitive as well, especially in Asia and Europe, where you have much more scrutiny and IP production, IP, um, you know, laws and rules and regulation. In in China specifically, they also have city level. A rules regulation where you need to follow specific guidelines and you know permits, etc. Whereas the U.S., I feel like generally you have uh, the government being quite opening um, about you know testing activities. Also, in a lot of states, they're also extremely open for commercial deployment. Um, last time I checked, there are over you know 30 and 30-ish um, states allow testing and commercial deployment today. Um. certainly today is like a, a patchwork if you may that different states have different rules regulation but in some <clears> of the popular states where you are seeing a lot of the self-driving deployment especially in states like you know arizona um in California. texas exactly they they have much more of a uh, deployment with many many companies participation um so i i think um the U.S. DOT and the federal government—they are trying to work on a overall 50-state solution. We have yet to see that come out, um, but, but I'm sure they're. Also working on that while well, the states are supporting some of the testing and development activity, um, but overall, uh, as a participant in the industry, and you know, I've been in two companies in the industry, um, I felt quite supported by the government. Certainly, we need to do our part, right, as uh, developers in terms of being mm-hmm. transparent, open, deploy it safely, especially with all the you know incidents we see recently. So even more so, we need to do our parts and become more and more responsible in our testing. Um, but in general, I feel like there is a good relationship between the developers, uh, the community in general, with the, with the government and with the agencies. Mm.
0: So if I'm hearing right, there's a lot more progress at the state level for a handful of states. Um, but at the federal level, again, there's still, my understanding, there haven't been some set of comprehensive regulations that have been uh, passed down from the top down, right? It's still very much at the state level.
1: Correct. There has been certain guidelines of in the past, AV 2.0, AV 3.0, published by the USDOT and FFCSA. um, These are just guidelines and kind of pointers to the general direction they want us to go, but there's no overall regulation that we have seen come out from these agencies yet.
0: Mm, Okay, very helpful. And you mentioned earlier kind of the impact of AI, generative AI in the industry. What do you see as the new opportunities that that technology unlocks for Autonomous vehicles, and then what are some of the potential pitfalls that you're thinking about?
1: Yeah, Um, I am very excited about generative AI in general, and specifically their application in self-driving. You know, traditionally, um, you know, it's funny when I say traditionally, it's just only five, six years ago in the self-driving industry, um, which is very exciting for you know the participants as well. You never get boring bored by by the industry. Really, what you have seen in a lot of development is that uh, painstaking, um, you know, you have to have a list of the corner cases, right? You have to enumerate what are the different cases in the industry or in on the road you're going to see. Uh, the famous example from Waymo is an old lady in a wheelchair chasing duck across the street, right? Very specific corner cases that you need to enumerate so that so you can have a model to handle that type of situation when it occurs. Um, however, it's going to be impossible, right, to list out every single thing happen in the real world, right? It's just a, a limited amount of different combinations and scenarios. So I think what have happened in industry in the past couple of years is that we're trying to solve a small set of problems. But really, we were not able to solve a general purpose of self-driving, right? Um, mm-hmm. So we definitely would use level four as a term, basically, basically means the uh, operation design domain where the vehicle can be operated uh, within, but it's limiting it's, um, you know, certain type of closed road or certain type of, um, you know, on highway uses. Um, so I think what Generated AI have provided opportunity and the glimpse of hope for us is that we're actually able to solve self-driving at scale. Um, Because as we all know, the capability of Gen AI is really understand the nuance, understand the context, right? How to interact with certain, you know, and we just saw Gemini coming from Google, um, which is also extremely exciting to kind of understanding the the, the nuance of certain situation, right? It's just like how you and I are talking today. And that's exactly the pain point of self-driving is you can understand there's a policeman waving at you. Right, you can recognize using a perception module. There is a car, or truck, or a motorcycle. But if you are putting all kinds of weird contexts together, what does it mean? right? Um, so that's historically been difficult for a self-driving system to understand, interpret it, or you know, act on, upon these different contexts. So what yeah. General AI provides us is a general understanding of the world, of road situations so your vehicle can behave in a certain way. Um, so that's really the exciting part for me is that can you use a model to actually solve self-driving at large using this um, more more advanced and more generalized technology? Um, mm-hmm. You know, still I think that we're not going to see self-driving tomorrow, right? You, we would need a lot of development. But personally, I would love to see more and more company using generative AI apply into self-driving development. Um, as you mentioned and we talked about in the beginning of our conversation a lot of the companies are struggling in the industry today um, but I want what I want to communicate with the audience is that I you know the there's massive amount of opportunity that we can actually solve this problem especially with the help of Gen AI. so let's not let's stay uh, very focused um, hopefully there'll be more investment more talents remain and joining our industry so that so we can actually bring the, our industry to the next level
0: mm-hmm. And on that, can you share a little bit more about, you know, when you're at Wabi, this idea of using simulation based training or like synthetic data to actually train the models is that also seems quite fascinating and a very different way of solving the problem.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think Wabi is a um, fantastic example and leader in the self-driving industry in terms of using AI and Gen AI to solve the problem at scale. And specifically, and you mentioned the simulation platform has been really a uh, key selling point as well as a differentiator for the company. Um, I personally also believe in this approach. That's why I, I joined the company in the first place. Um, really, I think it's really quite related to what we just talked about with the general uh, self-driving stack. Using simulation, especially in this case, AI power simulation, gives you the opportunity to experience vast amount of different uh, road conditions, corner cases in a safe environment, especially when your simulation platform is high quality, efficient, and extremely um, you know, supportive and well-integrated with your software stack. In that case, then you can really replicate the real world, right? your digital twin, to be able to um, test different scenarios be- even before your vehicle hit the road. So not only just for WABI, I think in general for the self driving industry, Uh, with the support of um, super-efficient and very valuable simulation platform we're able to deploy this much much more quickly and I think the other piece of the information is quite interesting is that you can do a lot of the um, you know validation verification in this hopefully you know we talk about regulations they're also open to that opportunity and you know possibility as well right if we can prove as industry that simulation platforms are are uh, valid, are safe, are accurate, can we use this information to uh, do validation on our autonomous driving system so that we can also one, provide evidence for the government that they can understand, two, we can rapidly deploy and making sure we can scale much more quickly. Um, so yeah, I think I'm very excited about the simulation piece. Um, one thing I do want to note is, um, you know, as we talk about in the industry, in order for the simulation platform or the GNI to work, right, your data quality, the quality of your data is extremely important, right? This is kind of a two side of the coin. Yes, you have fantastic simulation, but you also need to have massive amount of data uh, and high quality, well-structured data that can be digested by the simulation platform or by your AM modules. So that piece, I think in general for the self-driving space is a point that we need to improve Right. There are certain companies like Tesla, they have their own stack and they also have their own um, vehicles on the road, uh, hundreds of thousands of them. So they have a well developed process of, you know, uh, collecting the data, uh, making sure they're well labeled and, and then, you know, digesting them into this uh, model they have like kind of the flywheel, you know, we talk about in industry. So I think for a lot of the self-driving startups where they are, need to improve what kind of one of the challenges is how do I collect these massive data? That can be used, right, to improve the technology. Um, so that piece, I will be staying very excited. You know, remain, you know, watching on the data piece, and hopefully there will be more startups, more companies to provide this service or technology that can help us, right, to 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 become like the, the start of the flywheel, if you may.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I guess on that point, right, if a lot of the value is derived by the data, right, the quality of the data and the size of the of the data. Do you feel like naturally that actually um, enables it, enables larger companies, whether it's a Tesla or Waymo, to have much more advantageous, um a much more advantageous position because they have been on the road longer, they are collecting more data, they're all obviously very well funded and capitalized. Or do you think there's actually a, a space for smaller startups to actually add value, but in very unique ways that large companies can't?
1: Yeah, fantastic question. I think I want to answer this question with two perspectives, right? One is if a company have a, a, a solution or um, go to market where you can combine software and hardware, especially in this case, OEMs, right? We, we talk about Tesla and some other folks. Um, you, then you have a much higher advantage over other folks. Now you have, because one thing I want to mention and talk to you is self-driving is not, just a software play right it has a lot of dependencies on your hardware and when i talk about hardware it's not just a vehicle platform they have you know hard they have sensors and compute and your your integration with the vehicle uh, in terms of execution right um and acceleration etc etc so the company in my opinion will win this long term is companies who have a good grasp uh, on terms of hardware and software integration and you can accomplish that by either by owning your own Uh, I would say hardware supply or through partnership, right? So we talk about Tesla, which is vertically integrated and some other partnerships in the industry we have seen can be done through collaborations and and, partners. Um, That will, both ways can give you a fantastic insight into data collection um, and then using these sort of partnership or your own strategy to intake a lot of data um, and then start that flywheel, if you may. Um, now with the second piece of the question, does the smart bigger um, companies have a higher advantage? I think um, not necessarily so. The reason being self driving is a very complex system, right? It's um, massive in terms of the type of talents you need to hire, right? It's very different than just a Uh, let's say, a website or app on your phone. You just need need software developers and some salespeople, and certainly other folks too, but the core of that is quite straightforward. But for self-driving, you need software people, research people, hardware, vehicle, um, sensor folks, validation, safety, driver, test ops, et cetera, et cetera. So I think the people who can, um, or companies or leaders who can really coordinate, have a bird-eye view, and have good grasp of every single element, who can put this. Uh, all the ingredients together, that will be the people who can win this game, right? That could be a software mm-hmm. developer today or smaller startups, or it can be a hardware or, or can be a OEM or um, um, larger company. So not, not necessarily so. I think the key point here is a person who, and have a bird eye view who can mm-hmm. see three years ahead, right? And go backwards to be able to uh, hide, have high execution, make it into reality. Um, so that that's the kind of the differentiator here. So I'm excited to see more of the leaders um, kind of help us bring the technology to the next phase. Um, and to be honest, I don't think we need to have a step change in terms of technology. Um, somebody asked me yesterday, we were just having a conversation. Do you think you, you need to have a step change um, in order to accomplish self-driving scale? In My opinion, all the ingredients are here, right? We talk about the data. We talk about the gen AI approach. We talk about the partnership um, or, were the integration with hardware. Um, so as long as you can put all the ingredients together, you're a fantastic book, right? <laughs> uh, or, or analogy here, you can mm-hmm. really kind of bring together. So yeah, I mm-hmm. remain very excited,
0: very exciting. And, you know, you've been at Wabi too simple. They're both focused on the trucking industry. Can you share a little bit more about why the problem set for trucking is unique and different from, just your passenger vehicles
1: I love this question um i've become kind of a truck geek uh, after all this (laughs) year in the industry i definitely love my truck people um and i speak this without with uh without bias i personally believe um, and i think a lot of people also agree with me is that trucking will be and is going to be the um, area where self-driving will be commercialized first uh, for a couple reasons one is that um in the truck industry you're customers are these professional buyers right this is a 2b business um, where they have very straightforward decision-making processes right normally for a large fleet um you, if you can demonstrate your roi within 24 months very likely if this product safe, reliable they are able to sign or were start to adopt the technology because for them it's about bottom line increasing their profit margin and save cost right so very straightforward as long as you can demonstrate these there's a huge amount of drive for them to make the change um and become more competitive as you know the truck industry is extremely um, competitive too uh, best fleet in the industry probably you have 10% profit margin even less so in the market today where it's a little soft and um so they are finding all kinds of ways to stay ahead and to may re- remain competitive in the in the space the other thing is um from the use case perspective right trucking you're, we're looking at um, a lot of use case hub to hub, right? These are middle mile, uh, these are long haul trucking. We're talking about sometimes LTL providers in or private fleet. These are um, s- static routes that usually they run multiple times or dozens of times a day. Also, they plan out these routes usually weeks and months, if not years, in ahead. So you have a good understanding of your ODD. You can do quite a bit of study, and you can, you know, we talk about limiting some of the features that you can solve in order to provide your technology sooner, right? Launch your technology, MVP uh, sooner. Whereas Robotaxi, um, you've seen I as a personal rider, I can ride to A to B and et cetera, right? So these are all random routes. And just from a maintenance of HD map map perspective, right? Just think about the cost. If I run, for example, this small fleet run from LA to uh, Phoenix to 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 El Paso to Texas, I can maintain that route quite quickly and especially when your vehicles can become mapping vehicles themselves. Um, so I think in general, the operation domain is much more straightforward and kind of a good match for the self-driving mm-hmm. technology. Um, and finally, I think it's just about the you know industry dynamics, right? And then profit and, and kind of economics, the trucking market, we have suffered a lot from driver shortages. Our aging driver force—you um, know I, I, these are all the challenges. And for example, a large fleet, over-the-road trucking fleet, you're looking at over 100% of turnover rate in terms of driver um, uh, retention. So they face a lot of challenges. And um, I, I would say, finally, I want to make a point is that um, the other challenge for trucking industry is efficiency. Right, Because um, the truck industry is extremely fragmented, there's 90% of the trucking um, fleet are mom and pops. In this case, it's very hard for anybody to coordinate the resources and streamline the operation. So I was just looking at Uber Freight uh, announcement, one of the articles they wrote, 35% of the freight uh, truck on the market are running empty. And that's huge amount of waste, especially when you're trucking um, users are producing CO2s and you know have certain economic environmental impact, right? So not only is it inefficient, but also is going to kind of do damages to our environment. So with self-driving technology, what you're doing is making every single vehicle a digit, right? A, a point in your network. So that's how you can really, before you're managing human drivers, now you're just managing uh, a fleet of different digits or or digital assets now you're able to be, be able to coordinate your efficiency much more efficiently um and making sure that the, the fleet of trucks are running hopefully um 90 right if not more um so we can be much more in in general of uh, digitalization of our trucking industry and that can be done through the first step of automating these autonomous trucks
0: mm-hmm. well, and i think the other really fascinating stat that i came across was that the lifespan for the average truck driver is actually 10 to 15 years shorter than the average American. Right. So mm-hmm. in addition to obviously the business benefit, environmental benefit, there is also that social benefit of, you know, having less, I think it's around two to 3 million truck drivers in the U S um, right. having less of those people be in positions where their health is, is compromised. Uh, lots of great benefits.
1: Absolutely, I had a pleasure of knowing many amazing drivers in my career, um, mm-hmm. and they are just fantastic people. They think about the self-driving technology as their babies, and you know they kind of being very excited when after they test certain technology. So I, I have a fantastic relationship and just strong um, admiration and respect for a lot of them especially at wabi there was a driver advisory board that we have conducted where we really able to connect with a lot of the drivers and um, our driver force in the in the community I think exactly like you said right it's a very challenging job to be honest I, I'm not able to do what they do um, you know you need to stay really sharp focused for hours on end every single day and, and you know if you kind of somehow become distracted the consequences is going to be quite severe right so the, the stress level and the torn on your your physical self is going to, uh, I think having a long-term damage as well. So hopefully with this technology, what we can do is relocate or uh, redesign our driver force to be more uh, assigned to local pickup and delivery where they can go back home every day, have family, um, and kind of be able to relax after uh, every day. Whereas the truck, you know, autonomous truck can handle long haul driving um, that is going to be tedious and long, longer, hours so with that you know that i think that's the that's the future hopefully we are going to see in a couple years
0: awesome so kind of when you look back at when you were let's say in college university did you think you would be a (laughs) self-driving trucking expert
1: not at all (laughs) there's no major called self-driving truck
0: (laughs) so share a little bit more about that that journey right from how did you first End up in the industry, and then we, we can rewind a little bit from yeah, that after.
1: Definitely, I think the uh, for me, uh, I always was just driven by my curiosity. Um, I uh, went to university, studied business, uh, kind of a general, I would say, business development. Oh, sorry, business administration. So I think what I wanted to do is really to broaden my horizon, right? Get myself exposed to different kind of studies and subjects. Um, but all in the business realms. So that would be really helpful to uh, give me a lot of flexibility. Um, and also, I think it was too early for me to kind of pick a major, right, uh, or pick an industry since I don't know much about the the world. Um, so I was super lucky after um, graduating from Cornell. Um, uh were fantastic in uh, executive education, and that's actually where I was able to meet a lot of the leaders, business leaders in different um realm, different industries, different verticals, um, you know, get to know some of the folks in the self-driving space. To be honest, I really didn't know much about self-driving at all. Um, I just, you know, I actually never heard about uh, uh, NVIDIA before I joined industry. Now I'm sure everybody knows NVIDIA today. <laughs> um, so I think the uh, talk to uh, the Xiao Di Ho, which is uh, Co-founder of Too Simple back in 2016 when I was still in New York, and we really hit it off, and have have a lot of respect for him. Um, So I kind of flew from New York to San Diego in a week, uh, left my husband at time now uh, my boyfriend at time now husband in New York to pack up my stuff, (laughs) and then flew to San Diego by myself. Um, You know, in the earlier days, I think it was quite interesting to get myself into the industry. as i mentioned it's really a, a intersection of many different industries right you're talking about computer vision you're talking about these highly um academia and, and you know advanced technology um you know expose them to the some of the best scientists and you know most accomplished engineers in the world Me- meantime i need to talk to you know our automotive industry with uh, trucking folks with Oems and tier ones who also have completely different backgrounds and different experiences um, with our customers right of of shippers and fleets, they actually have quite different demographic and different backgrounds as well. So I, I kind of really enjoyed knowing different kind of group of people, um, and really I think being genuinely curious about them. Um, I went to CES in 2017 January, um, and I was like fantastic. I was a kid in the candy store. I was it was like it was like 200,000 people with different uh, industries, and you know it's like a concentration. Um of studies and learning opportunities, I just have a boot camp and get myself up to speed quickly. So i was I was really grateful to be able to attend CES that year and um, uh, you know get to know all the leaders in in my industry. So yeah, that's the most exciting piece of my work, I think is the ability and to to meet and connect with these amazing leaders from completely different backgrounds. Um, and the adventureness, right the, the the ability to do something new we talk about the growth of industry, which is rapid. So myself, I, I, I usually believe and I firmly believe that um, your own growth can only be a growth of your your industry or your uh, company, right? It's very hard for mm-hmm. a person to uh, grow your environment, which I usually try to do so, but it's really hard. So I, I try to find these upcoming industries where you have a strong wave that can you know, push me forward and learn as much as can. To be honest, like in the short, um, you know amount of time i was able to get a post to all these people i felt like my growth was expedited 10 times versus if i were to join some other industries
0: Hmm. how do you stay up to speed right on industry topics whether it's autonomous vehicles now gen ai right it's just i feel like there's a deluge of information and i never feel like i can wrap my head around it but i think that's what attracts certain people, right? To work in tech or other leading edge industries. But how do you personally, number one, stay in touch with what's happening in the industry and with relevant news? And then number two, how do you synthesize that and just kind of separate the signal from the noise for yourself?
1: Yeah, fantastic question. Um, I think for self-driving in particular, we have, since I I think I'm a veteran in the space too with uh, all these years, we have a group of people that are quite close to each other, um, you know, who have been in industry for a while. I think these are really some of the best people I've met in my lifetime. Um, So this group of people stay quite connected and share industry news and sometimes uh, gossip (laughs) um, and and different uh, industry uh, updates. And and most importantly, I think they are um, what I call uh, visionaries, right? They are not just we're not echo chambering what's going on in the industry today. i think what's uh, what i have done successfully in my career and some of my colleagues at Bowabi is that we're always able to think three years and five years ahead right we're always thinking about what's next since we have provided a lot of playbooks I, I i would say for some of the new entrants we're always thinking about what the industry needs that is not there yet right so a lot of the ideas has been bounced uh, uh, back and forth on um, you know, we talk about the data, we talk about safety, we talk about all the different topics. Um, and, and that's sometimes my what I enjoy doing the most is I would have this three hours calls with my former colleagues, my friends in the industry, just like random things happening. What can we do? What do you think about this? Um, how do you demonstrate this is, you know, superior, right? Sometimes in the context of a company or fundraise, sometimes just like general discussion of what needs to be happened. So to be honest, I I enjoy these conversations really tremendously deeply. Um, and they keep me extremely stimulated and kind of like in a meditative state, if you may, right, you're in this mindset of this world that two of you were however many in this conversation created, and you just enjoy the flow of the conversation so much. Um, so I, I think these are quite therapeutic for me. Um, mm-hmm. And stay connected is one thing I, I value deep thoughts, and critical thinking even further. I think information is everywhere and you can be easily overwhelmed by the conversation and and information ahead of you. But how do you make sure that you have time to think, you have time to digest information? That's even more important, right? Sometimes I don't think you need to know everything, but you just need to be able to be um, making sure you're always, having a deep conversation with yourself and with your colleagues or friends. That's, I think, what's gonna differentiate you and me and some of my close friends to continuously bring some new ideas to our industry.
0: How do you carve out, or what's your kind of way to carve out time for yourself to have reflective time, whether that's formal or informal? Yeah.
1: Um, I usually find myself at night doing this sort of, contemplations or discussion with myself and my family uh, with, with my friends as well um because you're in during daytime right you're quite overwhelmed or um just occupied I would say by daily activities um you know as a person you need to stay healthy you you need to cook your lunch or dinner right I'm sure with you with kids there's just so much going on um when things die down at night um and you know I usually also have a lot of context in asia right so that's the time zone perfect for me too uh and having this this this, this deep conversation and i would say um it, you have to make it a priority right it's uh, uh it will just happen just like my husband with his fitness journey he never makes it a priority and it always slips um so for me i just want to make sure that since you know like i said in the it's quite addictive fit, addictive so uh There's quite a lot of motivation for me to initiate this conversation or start typing out things or, you know, looking at some of the latest news and just kind of Mm -hmm. uh, empty my mind. Um, So I really enjoy these times.
0: And it seems like you're almost kind of in a flow state, right? When you're talking about, you know, having these conversations with your friends and, and colleagues. When you were younger, were there any specific topics or things where you actually found that same sense of curiosity, excitement and flow?
1: Yeah, um, I was always fascinated with traveling and, um, you know, since I, I don't know, I am from a small town in China of five million people. <laughs> that's a joke I always like to make, which is completely true. Uh, a statement in and out of itself. Um, and, you know, I'm from a northeast part of China, which is quite remote. And in ancient history, China, that's where you send all the uh, prisoners <laughs> to, to live on their own. <laughs> uh, so it's a it's a it's a very different culture, but I would say um, you don't get to expose to a lot of things, right in terms of new technology, uh different culture where um, you know when I went to college and um, I was able to be exposed to much more different diversity of people with different backgrounds. So I always find curiosity being a strong um, motive and drive of my and adventure. Um, I I, I felt like my world was really great, but it was small. You know what I mean? I I wanted to know the world a little better. Um, I wanted to broaden my horizon. I want to know all the unknown unknowns, right? I don't want to be kind of just like in my own little world and echo chamber. So that's mostly my drive.
0: Oh, I think our connection's back. Can yeah, you hear
1: me? I can hear you. Where did you lost me?
0: Yeah, no, you're just talking about your curiosity and desire to to go beyond your hometown and just think outside of where you're from, kind of helped you eventually yeah. leave China and then come over stateside.
1: Exactly, yeah. I, um, I had a strong uh, sense of adventure uh, and want to experience different things. I actually went to... Um, Uh, on my own a solo trip to Southeast Asia when I was a sophomore of college where my parents thought I was crazy right when you think about Cambodia when you think about some of the countries in Southeast Asia they're like why Um, why are you going there and how are you going to keep yourself safe Um, this is your first time going abroad and you're going to all these countries all by yourself and you're just barely an adult so (laughs) <laughs> that that was the kind of the feedback I got from the people around me. That's also the mindset they have, right? It's um, mm. live a comfortable life, close with their family. I, I just felt like I had this strong urge to um, be exposed to different uh, diversities and cultures and backgrounds. So that trip ended up being my favorite trip, the best trip in my whole life. I spent two months in Southeast Asia, and most of my time spent in Cambodia. I was teaching in a NGO in Cambodia where they have this school for kids all ages from six to 25 uh, to learn English and all the life skills. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just fascinated by everything I haven't seen in my life. Um, and to be honest, I also showed some of my leadership in that trip to where I noticed the kids or adults in that school didn't even know what Olympic Games were. Um, they mm-hmm. were, I asked them, Do you know where's the Um, Capital of Cambodia. Um, They're like, uh, no, I don't know. But you're actually in Cambodia, in Siem Reap, which is the capital of Cambodia. So they were really unaware of the world and some of the common knowledge we thought is pretty straightforward. So I kind of collected all the volunteers at the time, say, you know, let's host an event. Uh, Let's bring all the celebrities in Cambodia, all the government officials, all the press ladies and Gentlemen, get some, some sponsorship. Let's host like a big festival and ask all the kids to prepare, um, you know, showcase different cultures. Right? Uh, we have ten classes basically showcasing Japan, China, USA, um, Australia, etc. So it ended up being like a huge success. Uh, and one of the kids told me, you know, because we also somehow got the pop star from Cambodia to join that event, just like <laughs> like Beyonce at Cambodia actually joined our, our event and and kind of performed. Uh, and the kids told me that was the best day of her life so that really made my day and um, kind of incentivized me to keep doing what i do and kind of bring happiness to people and connect with people
0: amazing and then can you share about your journey from uh Bay university to to the us like what kind of um initiated that move stateside and what was the decision making process for you at that point
1: yeah um i love to i think for me i usually don't think about all the difficulties of doing something (laughs) um which usually would make you timid so i don't think about that at all the process and all the difficulties so uh you know what I, i i actually did all the application on my own i didn't find any agency there were some people to help me with my essays but that was it um and my parents was quite worried for me to go to a new country all by myself. To be honest, I don't know a single soul in this country. Um, I don't know what is SSN or like dental agency insurance, like none of that. So it would be like a new world for me, Um, but I I did it anyways, Um, you know, in this sense of, uh, you know, uh, adventurous and and curiosity we talk about and, and, you know, eagerness to connect with different people. Um, So yeah, I, I, that the strong sense of me was to, I want to go abroad. I want to go to the United States, and in the goal of exploring what's out there and what I don't know, all the and no one knows. Um, so that process, to be honest, was quite grueling. I've done a lot of work on my own, um, not alone, not not only the essays but also all the tests and etc. So, but luckily, uh, I got admitted by Cornell. And to be honest, that two years was also pretty challenging. Um, I mm-hmm. thought I spoke English well, but it's not about just the language, right? It's about getting to know the people. Um, and one thing is when you're younger, you're more sensitive, right? You don't know what people mean to you. Um, so you will make up certain stories in your head. Do they like me? Do they not like me? Is it because I'm from China? Is it like all the stories you make up in your mind? So I have to kind of make peace with myself, right? In the beginning and making sure you're confident. Um, you're able to handle everything. You're always kind to people and that, that's that was a challenge um while you were just alone in this big country. Um but I, I definitely met a lot of good friends and actually my landlord who was like seventy years old. Um so we became a good friend good friends and stay connected till today. I just got his Christmas card actually. Um <laughs> so <laughs> um and, and my, my boyfriend at the time he was also studying in UT Austin. So he came to visit me um once uh, in a while. So that was kind of my mental, um, mm. you know, where I where I can get my some of my strength from. But, you know, looking back, I I, I still felt really lucky and thankful to the self, the Vivian in 20, um, 10, 20 years ago that I, I was able to make the step um though it was very challenging but you know i i really enjoy my life here in the united states i now have a good insurance and you know dental providers and it and all that (laughs) (laughs) Uh, that's that's a given but in the beginning it was quite challenging to kind of get into this new system right where your life is completely
0: different so like have there been any key skills or even shift in mindset you know coming from china to north america and also being yeah, an, exec- an Asian executive in yeah. very much Western-driven, Western culture companies. Any either skills that have been really useful for you to develop? Like you kind of mentioned self-confidence, and just building that muscle and or mindset shifts that, that you feel like you've adopted that have been helpful.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely. I One um, skill slash personal belief of mine is um, self-initiative. That's one thing I always kind of is, is, is um, I've lived by this, um, and it kind of yielded a lot of benefit for me, um, you know, in uh, I've learned from some random book or podcast when I was younger saying, you know, Oh, when there's a speaker, you always become the first thing, first person to raise hand and ask questions like that's stupid. I'm so uh, timid to do that. It's like so scary, you know, um, but I started to practice that, to be honest, like, if I see certain people, I want to raise my hand. Uh, yes, you're going to be nervous, your heart's going to be pounding, but just like, go for it. There's you nothing to lose, right? Like, nobody knows you in that crowd, even if they know you, like, you will forget, they will forget about it in like two days. So uh, I, I definitely was doing a lot of things out of my comfort zone. This trip in Cambodia, we talk talk about, right, going to the U.S., meeting a lot of people. It, to be honest, these are the things that make me feel quite uncomfortable um in the beginning but i just kind of want to jump into it um the, the the ability to initiate something right that when i was in the ngo um everybody was just like doing volunteer teaching english but i was like no i want to pitch the principal of the school to doing this program and he must support me because it, it provides all these benefits so like, all the other volunteers thought like why do you bring on yourself so much work right this is like so unnecessary um but it ended up being the best thing in my life so I think I felt like that's one thing. I mean same with you to do this podcast you mentioned before our conversation. Um I, I'm sure this is the same set of self-initiative and just like jumping into it the courage to do different things in your life. So that's something I feel like is going to be a key model. Um and recently there's a book by these OpenAI ex engineers, right? They were talking about you cannot plan greatness, something like that. Right. So you just start doing your doing you, doing random things. And all the greatness comes from randomness. So, I think this is similar mm-hmm. to my model. It's like you just do what you like to do today. You don't, you can't plan greatness. But all these things you started initiative, uh, start initiative towards, or you started to do on your own. You, who knows what can come out of it? And what if it doesn't come out of it? That's fine. You, you enjoy this process. You enjoy doing it, right? There's nothing to lose on your end too. So, yeah, and that, that's something I, I fully believe in.
0: Great advice and you know we're kind of at the end of 2023 yeah Uh, what last question is what are you most grateful for for the year that is almost done and what are you most looking forward to in 2024
1: ah love it i want to hear yours too by the way (laughs) um for me to be honest i'm mostly grateful for myself this 2023 has been a tough year for a lot of people um for me as well so i was um challenge in multiple fronts um, but I um, I I want I, I really I, I thought I have fight through all my challenges or make peace with it, right I am much happier as a person. I am much more calm as a leader. I am um, able to handle, um, all kinds of challenges. I feel like now with all the growth I've experienced in 2023, I really want to th- be thankful for myself because I never give up. I've never one day give up saying, you know, okay, it is what it is. Like, let's just not, you know, try, um, you know, though I have my down times, right? I was like, you know, uh, in, in some mental states, but um, I kept bringing myself up, uh, being positive, believe myself um and kind of have conversation with myself right we talk about in the beginning of the conversation is keep you know knowing yourself is just so much more important and one of the my mentors told me um the world is really a mirror of yourself right if you think this person like you they like you if you think this person is like you they don't like you if you think the world is against you they're against you if you think the world is all helping you they're all helping you so i spent a lot of time working on myself it sounds cliche, but it's really the most important thing I've learned this year is how do you really know how to operate within this body of yours, this mind of yours, and you only get to do it once, right? Um, so for 2024, um, I'm excited to start a new role. Um, it's really exciting, still in the self-driving space, um, and I uh, want to reconnect with all of my friends and uh, see where the industry is going to go and continuously, hopefully, making progress
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Vivian. It was great to chat with you. For people who want to follow you and your journey, is there a good place for them to find you on the internet?
1: Yeah. uh, LinkedIn would be a good space. uh, And I also want to uh, share more thought leaderships on LinkedIn in the coming year. So, so that would be a fantastic place to connect.
0: Awesome. Thanks Vivian. Have a great start to the holiday and happy early 2024.
1: Thank you so much, Justin. It's fantastic talking to you.
0: Thanks. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your family and friends. Leave me a review on iTunes or drop me a note on our website, asiantechleaders.com. I really appreciate having each of you as a listener and sharing your valuable time with me. Be well, stay healthy and follow your heart. See you soon.